after the existence of giant monsters now called titans was revealed to the world dr emma russell a paleobiologist working for the titan studying organization monarch and her daughter madison witnessed the birth of the lover called mothra good i like this opening scene i like how it builds up i like how when you actually watch the cinema of it it starts with them uh making breakfast and having like a mother-daughter conversation and it's like a shocking reveal that they're on site in this jungle and i like that it's very ssp it's very uh of her being able to take the daughter uh, to work without her having anything to like really forward what to do with it like just because she has nowhere to like, take care of her or bother her or like you know to like put her it doesn't make a lot of sense but she knows in hindsight she knows that they need to be kidnapped together which you know what she should have had was madison be much more uh precocious and madison be like much more much much more like a young scientist or a specialist in her own right like have her uh be specifically described as like a savant or a young genius like she's because her parents are geniuses that she is like applying to colleges at the age of like 15 you know like really kind of stress the point out where she's like she's making inventions she's like you know got like a laboratory or something not like unable to cook fucking bacon i think that's how they start they introduce this character madison is that she's unable to cook a bacon and you're like okay like this is a weak start for a character that's supposed to be the most like important one in the film like you know like we're supposed to be emotionally invested too and she can't even master like breakfasts which 
it seems like a very easy thing to do. Uh, regardless, exactly. Regardless, if you're like, you know, smart, it just seems to be something that would be like, like unnecessary to add to a film. It doesn't make her more likable. It just seems to be like a waste of bacon. Okay, so see, so somehow they both get into the room where Mothra is being hatched. Um, they should. Okay, so I'll keep going. Emma calms Mothra using the Orca, a device that can emit frequencies to attract to alter Titan behavior. Okay, I like the idea of where they're going with this Orca device, and this will be a, important, like MacGuffin in the movie. Or not MacGuffin, I don't know what to call it. Uh, there's a term for it, but it's not MacGuffin. Um, but when Emma uses it, Madison should have, you know, been there too. And so they think that the Orca works. The impression that they want to give is that Emma and all the adult monarch scientists think the Orca is what did it. But the audience is going to be uh, led to believe in dramatic irony because we know something the characters don't, that the Madison character, the little girl, has imprinted on the the egg or imprinted on the larva uh, Mothra. So she has this deep, like, soul connection with Mothra, like a telepathic connection. Uh, Madison could touch it with her bare hand. <laughs> I believe that's a scene in the film where Madison reaches out and touches the Mothra on the face, and the Mothra is, like, really cool and, like, blue. Uh, and, like, she touches it on the face, and they should be like, oh, see, the orca made it so tame, Madison could touch it on the face, like, pet it, pet its snout, and, like, uh, but no, we know that Madison and the, the Mothra have a connection, like a soul connection. This is going to be important later on in the film. So... A group of eco-terrorists led by Alan Jonah attacks the base and kidnaps Emma and Madison while Mothra flees and pupates under a nearby waterfall. I like, okay, I like this angle, but the whole unnecessary action scene where they murder everybody, it makes very little sense in hindsight and retrospection, and like, they don't really do it very gracefully or with a lot of tact. It's very heavy-handed and, like, hammy, so just have them go and like tie everyone up and bind them and then you know kid it looks like they kidnapped them not like you know it ends with them just like asking them to go with them like it looks like they forcibly abducted these people um you know so that there are survivors and that there are witnesses and it's not like oh they killed everyone like oh they opened fire into a room of people and then asked where was emma later like you know like how would they I mean, it doesn't make a lot of sense it's just there's a lot of suspension of disbelief and it's very like immature so we're going to go with the idea that these eco-terrorists exist uh but the eco-terrorists their plot of course is alan jonah is this sas figure who uh basically owns a private military company a, a band of mercenaries and this band of mercenaries uh, is very high-tech and very capable. Like, they can hack into a top-secret government organization's, uh, like, underground bunkers and, like, give themselves complete access to hidden scientific laboratories. Yet, like, there's, like, only five of them or five or ten of them. Like, you ever see it at any one given time? So have it really be built that, like, in the, the backstory of the film maybe like a title crawl maybe like when they're talking to congress that there is a huge 
like military presence. Like there's a huge popular presence, like a popular opinion in the world that these fucking dinosaurs have to all die. Or like, you know, there's a giant like the idea that they are just eco-terrorists in a time when Godzilla is real. Like they're like, yeah, Godzilla's real, but someone's gotta save the polar bears and we're really going to commit acts of international terrorism. You know, against the United States to save the trees or save owls. Like, you know, what does an eco-terrorist really want? Like, to commit uh, international terrorism? No, they want to save the environment. Like, have their terrorism be that they want to kill the titans. Like, that's the big drama issue, is that this should be the time when this is being learned. This should be the, the scene, because this transitions into the scene where they're in Congress, um, that you learn who Alan Jonah is and you learn who the terrorists are. You learn who Emma sympathizes or who Emma is going to sympathize with. Like, that's why it's a big reveal because you don't have to explain it then. You can just reveal it then, like now. So, streamline it. Uh, but when they're talking to Congress, when they're talking, uh, there's the military, there's Monarch, and there's, you know, the Congress and the, or whatever, and the Congress is deciding who's going to get more funding, the people who want to save and research, or the people who want to kill. The military should get more time to speak because then they can justify the fact that they're like, oh yeah, we want to uh, satisfy the, um, the will of the American people, and the American people and the people of the world want these giant monsters dead. Like, that's they're fucking terrified of these giant monsters who are just, like, waking up all the time randomly. So give us money. We'll fucking make weapons, uh, missiles, and bomb the shit out of them. You know, we're not going to... We'll study them after they're dead. We'll study their corpses. And, you know, of course, the Japanese guy's like, no, 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 you know, oh, no, Godzilla's good. Like, you know, it's always this Godzilla apologist sympathizer stuff. But he does seem to have no real leg to stand on. Like, the military is like, oh, you know, 20 million people have died. Several cities have been destroyed. You know, these things are waking up faster than we can, like, fight them. Like, you know, we're going to either have to, like, have huge militaries hanging out all the time, like, like ready for them, or we should just kill them right now when we find them. Like, whatever, there's just too much problems. Like, they have real data. And the monarch guy's just like, oh, no, like, everything has a right to live. Like, oh, spirituality, like, you know, people are good. Like, dinosaurs are good. Like, monsters are good. Uh, no one's evil type philosophy. Uh, regardless of the fact that, like, 15 million people have died, you know, like, since this has all happened. Um, and, but then his big argument, should, uh, the, the monarch's argument, should be that Godzilla is saving people. That millions, that hundreds of millions of more would have died, billions would have died if Godzilla hadn't been there time and time again to save cities and to save people and to demonstrate his heroism again and again and again. So he's definitely considered good. And the military should be like, no, he's the most dangerous one. He's the most, you know, he's the one we got to kill the first. He's the first one we got to kill because he's so strong and he keeps getting stronger and stronger and stronger. Then when he does turn on us, we're going to have no way of stopping him. And there's going to be nothing left on earth that can, that can stop Godzilla. So we got to fucking like, I know you love him and he's like saving people, but he is a gigantic fucking monster. Like he's like becoming stronger. And they should show the fact that he's becoming uh, more atomic and more radioactive and more aggressive with every 
in a battle, you know, and it's been five years and they should have it like, you know, he's been in like two dozen major, you know, battles with monsters and he's killed every single one of them and he's become like more aggressive and this is, you know, already have this history, like clips of fights that we can kind of like assume happened before this movie started, not like he just disappeared. In fact, the first time you see Godzilla, he should be battling uh, a monster, the Muto Prime, from uh, the, the the graphic novel, the prequel, and he should be battling, or, or some kind of generic titan, he should be battling it and then, like, kill it, like, brutally, to the point that, you know, that'll be a little bit later in the film, we'll talk about that, but it really demonstrates the fact that Godzilla is not fucking around, like, Godzilla is a gigantic, you know, Tyrannosaurus Rex that can spit radioactive fire and is not like you know he is the king of the monsters he's the alpha predator and he eats other titans like he needs to eat other titans to survive and so this is you know you might confuse it with the fact that he's saving people but in like another equally you know uh, relevant like an equally accurate statement could be that he's just doing what he does naturally and that is kill and eat other titans you know like that is what godzilla does he's an apex predator when they arrive they are usually running from him and he is eating them like he is going to kill them um you know so we'll talk about that when uh, the godzilla movie you know progresses but yes so now we're at the scene of the congress so basically monarch scientist dr ishiro Cesar and dr vivian graham approach former employee dr mark russell this is when they leave and they find the ex-husband of emma was like fucking uh, working for National Geographic, looking at wolves and writing emails to his daughter that go unanswered. Um, <clears throat> like, I get it. I get it, uh, what you need, but I don't think he needs to be so important, and I think he needs to be more uh, more of an extreme uh, result of Godzilla than he is in the film. Like, yes, he's kind of pissed off at Godzilla, but, you know, he's not nearly as pissed off as he should be. He should be absolutely pissed off not only at Godzilla, but the world, and have, like, a very nihilistic, pessimistic, like, he should be, like, an alcoholic or, like, even a harder drug addict and, like, you know, just fucking gone off the deep end and doesn't even, like, sleep in a cabin, just, like, sleeps outside in the snow and, like... You know, lives with wolves and like doesn't has been years since anyone's seen him and like you know, like have some kind of statement where he hasn't touched his bank account. <laughs> you know, so like they don't even know if he's still alive. Like he, like he doesn't he he works for National Geographic just so that she could eat, but he doesn't even spend the money that they pay him. Like have him like because his kid was killed. His kid was stepped on by fucking Godzilla in San Francisco. And, like, you know, that that kind of fucks with your head. It does. Like, you need to show the real emotional impact of someone having their family stepped on. Like, that does really, you know, break your heart. And and I think they kind of showed him, like, really love his daughter, but not nearly enough. Like, he should have been, like, you know, like, he wasn't awarded custody and he threatened to, like, kill his ex-wife. Or, you know, like, he was, you know, going to. Like, and he, he had somebody get him out of like a like a legal issue like dr shirazawa could be like hey i gave you that favor like you know you're not in jail because of me so you have to help me out like you know you're not in jail only because of me like i said i know i vouched for you that you weren't fucking a crazy guy <clears throat> and, you know and he's all like okay i get it like have them have a past like they used to be colleagues they used to work together in monarch 
uh, not the fact that he was just Dr. Emma's husband. Like, they, like he worked, like, all three of them worked in the company together uh, doing administrative executive things, not that just that they were scientists. Like, they were actual, like, that's how the comp, that's how that organization was ran. It was, like, Dr. Emma, Dr., you know, Ishiro, and, and then uh, the husband, and that, you know, whatever. Uh, he, he had some kind of spot in it, but then he quit when the whole stepping thing happened. You know, the squishing of this, the kid. Um, so, yes. Uh, and he's got, like, literature, anti-Godzilla literature in the cabin. Like, they show, like, show, like, his, his actual, like, crazy conspiracy guy, like, house. And he's, like, you know, like, in a bunker. But he's built, like, an anti-Godzilla bunker, you know. And that's where he lives, like, full-time. Because he never, he's, he doesn't feel safe above ground. And he's got, like, pictures of Godzilla and other monsters. And, like, you know, string and shit, tying all the pictures together. And, like, you know, fucking big X's on Godzilla's face. And, like, like... You know, really go crazy with the fact that he wants this thing dead. Like, he hates, absolutely hates that these things live. You know, like, that's his whole, like, if he, he's powerless to kill them because he's just one man. And his wife loves them. And, like, you know, he worked for an organization that studied and watched them, so he's got, like, insider knowledge. But he's also, you know, been driven insane and his reputation ruined and, like, his life ruined by the fact that he is a personal victim of these monsters. And so this is going to add, like, a dramatic element to the movie and this character because this character is supposed to be the perfect one. Like I said, this is... I'm not going to change the major characters of the film. I'm just going to see what they could be done, like, the alternatives for them. Okay. Like, so Mark is reluctant at first to, <laughs> due to his hatred towards Godzilla, and like really get that point across. Like, like you know, he points a gun at like Doctor Ishiro or something like that. You know, like he is, he is ready to kill him, if, be, like it because he's just, like you're guilty by association. Like you're one of the reasons why he's still alive, and so he's like ready to kill him. But the guy's like, come on, you, you know you're not mad at me. You're mad at Godzilla, and I understand that. Like, you're mad at, the, you know, like, fate. Like, you're made... Exactly. And have Dr. Ishiro be like, you're, made, you're, you're mad at destiny. You're mad at fate. You're mad at God, not Godzilla. And then the guy's like, okay, you're right. Like, you know, like... <laughs> like, I get it. Like, you know, there's some bigger forces at play here than, than this. But anyway, so... Yeah, you know, he hates fucking Godzilla, and he, he doesn't like Dr. Ishiro, but he's going to help work with them because his daughter's been kidnapped by these terrorists who, you know, also want the monster to be killed, but they're going to, like, steal nuclear weapons. They have, like, stolen nuclear weapons. They have stolen weapons of mass destruction. Like, it's a bunch of scientists. It's a bunch of, like, very capable military elites from around the world who sympathize with them, and they're trying to, like... Like, they're just trying to fucking kill these monsters, and they're breaking international law to do it. Uh, and so that's why there's, like, this whole Jonah, Jonah Allen's a terrorist. and But have that, like, sentiment be shared by the ex-husband of Emma, uh, Mark. Like, have the same literature be found in his bunker, like a book written by Alan Jonah, or like a brochure, like a terrorist thing. You know how you could find like Al-Qaeda videos or ISIS videos online? Like have like this guy, Mark, sympathize with Jonah. Like he's like, no, like I would be joining these guys too if it wouldn't meant like, you know, not going to jail for the rest of your life type, 
you know, comp implications. Like, you know, like he would be right, right on board with killing Godzilla with Jonah. But okay, what you go? Uh, you know, and he eventually agrees. So the Monarch team follows Godzilla to Antarctica. There is a like a little bit. I say when you when this happens, they kind of skip over the fact that they introduce Godzilla during the scene in a oil rig. Uh, have it where that's the that's how you see how the worlds become. That the ocean is filled with like defensive turrets and structures and like you know uh, it's just like fucking crazy. Like there's just gigantic concrete walls on the coastline and like. Uh, missiles and like you know gun embankments everywhere uh, like you know concrete like uh, uh, you know like anti-tank uh, kind of like concrete uh, spurs like in D-Day and stuff all on the beaches and uh, really show how the country like some cities have been destroyed on the American coastline like this is a really good time to show you like the, the country has gone to like that the world is a war zone now. The world is very unsafe. And people live in constant fear of uh, these monsters. So, like, you get the idea that that monarch is very much like an idealistic uh, outsider. And that Mark is very much like a part of the real world. Like, he is seeing the, the world that he loved be destroyed by these creatures' survival. Like, the, their very presence, you know, is endangering everyone's uh, life. Uh, so they go to the oil rig. They see Godzilla. Uh, he doesn't fucking glow like a lightning bug. You know, he doesn't, like, glow like a jelly. He, he's fighting a monster. Like, just have him fight a monster. Have him actually, like, be kicking ass and, like, like fucking this thing up. But then uh, to really add some gravity to it, have like but that's where all their equipment is that's like where monarchs like last like only headquarters don't have them have like installations all over the world they have one major headquarters and that's that oil rig and it gets damaged uh by godzilla's breath like you know or something like they smash into it and it's not destroyed but it's damaged and you know this is kind of where even the the people who work for monarch are like man like this thing is like dangerous like this i could easily see this guy just like killing hundreds of thousands of people because he has a bad like you know just because they're in the wrong place in the wrong time and uh like even dr ishar was like damn like yeah even monarch is is powerless to actually fucking you know deal with this thing like we're we're trying to build anti-godzilla like bunkers and and all it has to do is like ram into us and then we're almost all gonna die type thing like we could have all died moment so you show the seriousness of the situation uh and how you even show like how godzilla's changed he's red he's not uh like he's not full atomic yet he's not full m nuclear meltdown but he is definitely uh going red he's not like this blue on dark green he's like this dark green on red like his color is shifted over to red um and it's shifting more and more like intensely that's gonna be like a motif is that he's going like nuclear meltdown he's like going like overboard and he's getting more and more like energetic and more and more powerful so um they then follow 
like the, the signal and they realize where Emma's going because they like have a you know satellite lock and they get the the government to help them out because I want them to be like hey we got like where we know where they're going they're going to Antarctica excuse me and uh so they're going to Antarctica uh, don't have it where they just you know are playing along with the kidnapping and then you make the reveal to be Emma is working with them just like have them like already there like you don't have to have this reveal yet like you know because the reveal is going to come later but the idea that this is like you realize that oh she's actually working with Alec Jonah in this situation where they like, go down there and you know uh waking the monster zero thing um so basically we're going to keep that even though I really didn't want to like have that happen but we're going to keep that so uh the Monarch team follows Godzilla to Antarctica where Jonah intends to free the three-headed titan co-named Monster Zero. We're keeping the Monster Zero part. We're not really calling him Gadira ever. Monster Zero is much more effective in the communicating the, the creature. Uh, so, I didn't like the name Ghidorah. I never did. Emma frees and awakens Monster Zero who battles Godzilla, devours Graham, and escapes. You don't have to have that goofy fucking scene where God, you know, Monster Zero is looking at him like eye to eye and then like decides to eat everybody or blow them up with his like lightning breath. You should really take this moment to show you that Monster Zero is a bigger, larger scale threat than even Godzilla. And it's not like, oh, it'll po personally like look at a guy like who's shooting him with like a rifle and then like like have a point where it's like should i eat him or should i not or which head should eat him like no it's not like just a bigger it's not like a big goofy dragon from like game of thrones it should be miles long it should have been like when they release it they didn't even realize how fucking gnarly and crazy the monster zero can be and that it's like it's like i really like the planet uh, godzilla uh, planet godzilla uh monster zero where it's like from a different dimension and godzilla can't touch it but it can touch godzilla like we can't touch it but it can touch us and we we can see it but we just like we can't it go like anything we launch at it goes right through it and that it's this weird like it's coming out of like a portal at all times like like there's so much of it like it's an infinitely long um, amount of necks and like the necks are all coming out of this portal and the portal is actually the monster love that idea I think and it came out before this film so they should have really taken a note and and you know paid uh, heed to the example that was set because you need to really up your game Monster Zero is supposed to be a very sci-fi creature he's supposed to be from outer space he's supposed to be like thing I guess something you should never see on earth because it's not from earth it's supposed to its very presence makes earth an alien planet um and that's important because that's like monster zero's whole like mission is to make earth this alien planet it's to terraform earth uh into like this weird gnarly like super hurricane and I, and that should be a point too is that it's okay so anyway uh we'll keep going uh Emma frees and awakens Monster Zero who battles Godzilla, devours Graham, and escapes. So basically, I don't think this battle has to happen the way they think it needs to do. I think that Godzilla should uh, still be... Uh, okay, so 
they're awakening him. Godzilla shows up, attacks the station while they're awakening him or whatever, awakening uh, Monster Zero. That's when people die, including Dr. Graham. So you think, oh, well, he was going to attack. He's going to be the hero. And then he ends up killing the good guys, uh, like a few of the good guys. And you're like, oh, yeah, Godzilla doesn't give a shit. He's just stomping around. Like, he's, like, it's not, you know, it's, it's not friendly fire. Godzilla just doesn't really care. He's just attacking this place to get to Monster Zero. You know, and then once he, once he, Godzilla helps free Monster Zero, uh, and that could be a big thing too, is that Emma's plan to unlock Monster Zero wasn't just simply to place explosives on an iceberg, it was to um, use the Orca to call and summon Godzilla using Godzilla's own, you know, voice frequency and things like that, like, or it was to... Uh, used the the Monster Zero voice recording that she had like simulated synthetically, uh, and and you know that would lure Godzilla for, to this this location, and Godzilla's breath could help melt the ice, and have like Godzilla's breath be a really big point in the movie that he's using it a lot, and it's like super destructive, and like he just blasts this huge ice wall, and like Monster Zero is able to escape. But, he's a, but he melts like kilometers of ice. Like he just like melts a huge section of Antarctica when he does this. Like most of Antarctica's raw shelf is gone. Like a, like, a, like a size of like New York is gone. You know, like just immediately gone. Um, like I really think we need to get to the scale of like God, like this breath weapon. And this is going to be important later on in my movie. And this Godzilla version is this breath weapon needs to be like when it uses its breath it not only can destroy a like a like a direct line like it destroys this huge cone it's like uh spread you know area area effect aoe and it's like you know nothing is safe from this and then they talk about the implications of the radiation afterwards and that it poisons the land and that it like, gets people sick you know it's Whenever he, he's around, people are experiencing cancer. This idea that titans fertilize the land is the dumbest fucking point of the movie. That is the dumbest idea you could possibly include in this film because the gravity of the situation is that if Godzilla rolls around, it should be like nothing grows again. Like they should be talking about that. Like, yeah, in San Francisco, like all the fish have died since it's been in the bay. Uh, because the other two radiation monsters, but then that could be the thing like, oh no, see the radiation mutos were doing that. They had fucking poisoned Hawaii. Like show Hawaii as like, an, like a Chernobyl, you know, like people having to evacuate and leave everything behind Honolulu because, you know, these two radioactive monsters were fighting, you know, in Honolulu. And, or, and so, you know, this major American state is destroyed and ravaged by... Um, radiation because this is like the the seriousness of the issue wherever godzilla is he radiates and the seriousness of the radiation you know really harken back to its original roots okay so uh monster zero is free monster zero uh is different than everyone thinks in my version monster zero basically flies immediately up into the sky into uh the higher atmosphere and starts creating storms and, and basically fights um, like I said like a, like this gigantic manifestation of like storms and it's like a ghost like it's definitely Monster Zero like you see this golden dragon but it's not really tangible 
you know, and it can choose to be tangible. It phase shifts to, like, make contact with the Earth, but, uh, or to make contact with things, but it usually uses the lightning uh, attack, and it just covers the land with lightning, like, major focus on this electrical storms and surges. Like, imagine, like, thousands of lightning bolts, you know, in a 360-degree radius type thing. Uh, and really make it point of like it being a storm, like it is the hurricane element. I think that's the actual direct line in the movie where it's like, oh, it is the storm, you know, like. Okay, so that, like, this is where we're kind of going with that whole, like, this is the point where it's to transition to it is the storm and it's going around and then everyone is like immediately fucked, like, you know, oh shit, and going to DEFCON 5. Um, okay. So now we're going to be going to, let's see, let's see, the team then learns that Emma is working for the terrorists. From a monarch bunker in Boston, Emma contacts monarch and argues that the titans must be awakened in order to heal the earth from the damages that humans have caused. Okay, so this, uh, the team learns that Emma is working with the terrorists, this is what I was saying, like, don't really have that, uh, you know, be so like, aha, I was working with the terrorists all along. Emma should come out and be like, oh, I hate Godzilla too. I'm also a, like a radical anti-Godzilla uh, zealot, you know, and I'm like, oh my God, like, I'm not a terrorist, but I hate Godzilla as much as anyone else. And I have devised a plan to kill him because he killed my kid. You know, and you're like, oh, wow. Like, they, you know, she was also really pissed off at Godzilla, you know. But she was playing the long con and knew that she had to keep her job with uh, Monarch so that she could be, uh, you know, have access to insider knowledge and learn the physiology of Godzilla and learn, you know, his weaknesses and you know, also position herself to be able to do all of this, like learn a weapon. And the weapon that she had found was Monster Zero. She had dedicated her life to finding a way to kill Godzilla, and the way that she was going to kill Godzilla was Monster Zero. And that this was, uh, it might doom most of the world, but it could not be worse than having Godzilla as, you know, in, in her mind, Godzilla was invincible. The only solution was this. And, you know, uh, Mark now is more of, like, in the middle. He's more of a centrist now. And she's, like, very extreme because she's actualized her extreme uh, beliefs. And he's only just had them. You know, that's why she's all like, no, I, I'm leaving you And for Jonah. I'm actually romantically involved with this Jonah guy who's the leader of these terrorists. And he's not really like, it's not Al-Qaeda. It's like a group of people who are like radical, uh, you know, secret agents and shit like that. Like he's, you know, SAS and he's like a commando and he's got like all these badass like army guys who aren't going to take like monster shit. And so like they're going to try to go and like attack and kill all the monsters at once. And uh, there's like the U.S. armies involved in it. Like people are like, like he's he's got a lot of like persuasion. More people sympathize with him than don't you know in the world as it stands. So he's really important. Like he's like a dictator, like a warlord. Um, but so Emma's romantically involved with him, uh, which is why she she helped. She had did this, you know, because he had like offered all this like assistance 
and you know she fell for it and she like uh really doesn't want to reconcile with mark and she doesn't really agree with him she thinks he's weak she thinks he's a coward like really make her a villain like she thinks mark is weak and a coward and that he's responsible for the son dying because he didn't escape on time he didn't like it the out of the city he was too soft on godzilla like or even that she hates dr ishiro because of the same thing that that even though her son died he immediately tried to forgive godzilla or like he's told her to forgive godzilla and so she like always hated him and she doesn't care if like you know whatever happens to the world happens to the world because it's an unsympathetic place like have her hurt in her trauma be a major motivator for her being like yeah now you guys can go fucked because i released like this monster zero who is going to destroy most of the world but will definitely kill godzilla and i don't care if everyone else dies because my life has already been ruined by my loss of my son madison's hearing all of this like madison's like oh shit like i am like you know i feel like a third wheel kind of thing you know like oh fuck like i like you know like any kid would feel when they meet their step parents for the like for the first time and then like also hear that their mother is a terrorist <laughs> like you know like have that madison character really be like ah shit like i gotta get out of here type thing and so this is going to lead like this act of the movie is madison's like uh you know escape and finding her own identity Okay. And they're not in Boston. Boston, that, that's the dumbest fucking thing in the world, having them be, have them in D.C. Just have this whole thing set in D.C. Like, the last act is going to be D.C. It drives down the point of the D.C. So they're in D.C., right? So this is all happening. Emma's in D.C. The U.S. Army's agreeing. They have, have them be like, yeah, even, like, guess where we are is D.C. Because the president, you know, the government has agreed to work with the terrorists, has agreed to work with Jonah. Uh, in killing all the monsters like this is a big point is that the u.s military and the most of the world is now completely following jonah and uh you know it's like yeah like we need to kill godzilla we understand like we're gonna give this guy a bunker type thing in dc so uh emma awakens rodan in mexico monarch i guess this basically doesn't have to be emma's fault uh rodan just wakes up like have the monsters just waking up and the thing is even though they built these little enclosures they're just waking the fuck up like you can't stop a volcano you can't stop rodan like even if you built a door over the volcano it's just gonna break out they don't like it's so just have rodan wake up doesn't have to have be you know how it was so rodan wakes up monarch look so you don't have to have that scene where they evacuate the village it's just dumb have them just like get into like an air battle with rodan like that's a rogue element and just show like mexico's air force try to do it you don't have to have monarch having planes of their own just they can have that flying aircraft carrier but they don't need to have uh jet fighters like air force jet fighters f-35s they just need to have like the mexico Mex just have mexico have f-35s like, you know, just have the Mexican Air Force try to fight Rodan and get, like, annihilated. But this buys time for the Monarch uh, plane to kind of, like, fly uh, and lead Monster Zero and Godzilla into Rodan, like, into this all, like, this big Gulf of Mexico fight they're going to have. So basically, this is, like, how you're introducing Rodan. You need to introduce Rodan. He's a big movie point uh, for the fans. This is, I'm not changing it. This is the alternative route to go.
Everything about Rodan is great, though. The visuals, what he does, who he, what it is, it's great. You know, the destructive nature of it's great. So basically, Emma awakens Rodan in Mexico. Monarch lures Rodan to fight in the approaching Monster Zero, but Monster Zero swiftly defeats Rodan before being ambushed by Godzilla, who severs his left head. Okay, good. I like the fight scene with Rodan and Ghidorah, but have the idea that it is intangible, and, but have, like, this really kind of... Because Godzilla cannot make direct contact with something that's so in, like, in high altitude. We're going to be realistic here, and we're going to really use this for dramatic uh, purpose and dramatic effect, is that Godzilla is really powerless to stop Monster Zero. Monster Zero is on a whole nother ball game. It's like in high orbit, you know, like it's on the edge of space, and it's just blasting lightning and causing the whole atmosphere to churn in this black storm of like zero gravity you know like you know like heavy gravity and uh really like this crazy like high orbit like it's not something godzilla can even really understand but godzilla's like following him like tracking him and like always there um you know so rodan goes and attacks him or goes tries to but then this is where you really get you get that point across where it's intangible it's interdimensional it's like, you know, Rodan puts up a good attack, but eventually Ghidorah just zaps the shit out of him with lightning and, like, Rodan falls, like, you know, basically knocked out. Uh, it's at this point that, uh, okay, it's at this point that Godzilla's, like, you know, uh, trying to, like, shoot the, his little breath beam, like, his, not his little breath beam, his big-ass breath beam. Um, you know, into the sky, and it's like, you know, breaking apart the storm clouds have that whole thing. I don't understand why that scene was after, like, he, like, was revived, and it was like, I'm alive, like, have this be the scene where it stands up, looks straight up, and shoots, like, this massive beam into the heavens, and, like, breaks apart the storm, um, as Rodan falls, like, you know, he realizes this is his moment, like, you know, step up, blast the sky uh but the navy is you know shoots the missile the oxygen destroyer you know at the behest of jonah the terrorist who the anti-godzilla extremist and um you know it blows up godzilla which i think it does exactly this is rare yeah swiftly defeats uh Grodin, right so yeah blows uh so basically we have Godzilla starting to hurt Monster Zero with his breath beam. And then, like, uh, during the fight, the Navy launches a prototype missile called the Oxygen Destroyer, seemingly killing Godzilla. Right, so this is exactly how they would replay it. Oxygen Destroyer, anti-Godzilla extremists have taken over the world. You know, the all-is-lost moment. Um, boom, Godzilla is down for the count. You know, he disappears. They can't find him on scan. No life signs, nada. Right? So, you know, he has been oxygen destroyed. Right? So, unaffected Monster Zero, though, you know, regrows his lost head, which was blasted off by Godzilla. And they find out that they make some kind of bullshit excuse that Godzilla's radiation can actually, you know, hit good, like, Monster Zero. Like, his only thing that can hit Monster Zero is Godzilla's radiation beam. Somehow in this part, you're like, oh, man. Godzilla was our only hope against Monster Zero. Now, 
uh, he's dead, Monster Zero will basically make the world, you know, in his image, and there's nothing we can do. And that's the scene where you have, like, Monster Zero land on the volcano and then, like, have Rodan, like, out for the count. Like, he is just down. Right, he, and he doesn't like do the bow. Like he's just like crawling. Like he can't really get up. So you show that God, that Monster Zero is just like, yeah. Like I just clearly won this fight. You know, I'm gonna chill for a little bit. Okay. So Monster Zero grows his lost head and awakens all the other dormant titans around the world, with Rodan submitting to his rule. Uh, so yeah, you show the other things like basically this is the well. What are we gonna do now that Godzilla's gone? And you have, like, basically show that via, like, a screen. That's, like, your big screen scene where you show, like, all the, you know, the different clips, like, s sequencing together of the world, like, in chaos and pandemonium as it, like, suffers attack, at, you know, a surge of attacks from all directions from all these different monsters. That's, like, your collage moment in the movie where they showed all the different monsters waking up and stuff. Boom. That's how you get that kind of universe built. Um... You know, I like the way they did it. I think they should just be, you know, really emphasizing that, oh, man, there's nothing to stop these guys. Uh, so Madison disowns Emma for her role in the destruction and loss of life caused by the Awakened Titans. This is a point where you could have Madison blaming uh, her mother for everything that happened, you know, and bad, like, everything that's ever happened, like, separating her from her father and stuff like that, and that she was really no better, and that, you know, her entire life she had been gaslit to believe one thing but you know so she didn't really care about her feelings she was just a pawn in her game and stuff and so uh, through mythological texts Dr. Eileen Chin discovers that Monster Zero is King Ghidorah a prehistoric alien seeking to terraform the earth to his liking Mothra emerges from her cocoon flies to Castle Bravo Monarch's Bermuda base to communicate with Godzilla who is recuperating from the detonation in an ancient underwater city I like this. I think this should be kept in. Uh, Mothra and everything has to be included. But this is also a point where, uh, you know, you know, the energy is being transferred. I don't think there should be a point where they nuke Godzilla again to wake him up. And it kills Dr. Ishiro as well as destroying Atlantis. I think they should just be at Atlantis. And then Mothra shows up like sits on him or something like shines her heart light at him like a care bear and then he wakes up and then you know they're like hey mothra can wake up monsters that's what monst that's what mothra's power is she can heal stuff she's the thing that heals stuff not just oh the fact that the like, other monsters destroy the world she heals stuff like she's the healer you know she's the medic you know in the group and that she you know is there because she can you know, and you think you're gonna die, she just flies over you and then you're back, you're good to go again. This is important because every little RPG team has a healer, has a medic. You know, you need your support, you need your long distance <laughs> medic unit. And that's Mo and that's Mothra. So basically, um, Mothra comes, heals them. Dr. Yashirazar does not need to suit a sacrifice itself at this time. Um, or hell, have him even be a casualty uh, during the Antarctic raid. You know, like have him already be like, you know, dead from Godzilla-related like, activities. So it's like, oh yeah, he was a fool, but you know, he was right. But he did end up like dying because he got too close to Godzilla, or he didn't, you know, respect God. He didn't fear Godzilla enough. Godzilla needs to be feared and like left alone. But Godzilla is 
you know, ultimately the one thing that's going to save us in this situation and like other situations like this. Like he's a, he's the only thing we have going for us, right? So, um, because the lair is already highly, via submarine, the team locates Godzilla's lair, which is highly radioactive. They deduce it will take far too long for Godzilla to heal on his own inside a detonated nuclear warhead. Why does it have to be highly radioactive if? The, I mean, why do they have to detonate a nuclear warhead if it's already highly radioactive? Why not just put, like, inert radioactive material, like fission rods and stuff, around them? Like, why would they have to just detonate a bomb? Like, there are other radioactive sources rather than explosives, so just just have them when they found them, and then they just, like, help Mothra. Like, they, they bring Mothra to them or something, and then, like, Mothra heals them. The bomb is just silly. It really is just, like, a dumb, over-the-top gimmick. But just have Dr. Ishirazawa die due to something that Godzilla does either earlier or later on. But have that be the great tragic irony is like, oh shit, this guy died and, you know, Godzilla killed him. He was like Godzilla's, you know, number one fan and that fucking smushed him. Like, you know, like, damn, like, like, exactly. That's, that's just how life goes. Like, oh, we still live in a grim, dark universe. Like, don't get you wrong. Like, that could be even be after this scene where you're like, oh yeah, like, Godzilla wakes up and you're like oh yeah he's awake and then like he somehow ends up killing Dr. Ishiro by like breaking a building down on him or something with his tail like that would be kind of uh, an abrupt reality check you know you're like oh shit yeah he's alive but he's so fucking crazy like powerful and dangerous and he's like knocking shit over with his tail just because he's walking around you know like yeah, so, so Dr. Sirazawa is dead. But Godzilla's alive. Godzilla's stronger, you know, better than new, stronger than ever. He's got Mothra with them. And, uh, you know, this is where we're at in the movie. Emma realizes the destruction Ghidorah and the other Titans will bring to the world is much worse than anything that humans could inflict. But Jonah ignores her place to stop. Um... Basically, the scenes just be, oh, Godzilla's awake, and Jonah's trying to blow him up again. And then, you know, Emma's like, oh, wait, no. Like, we, we're we only supposed to kill Godzilla. We're not supposed to kill Mothra or any of anyone else. Like, you're not supposed to kill my husband. You're not supposed to kill, I mean, my ex-husband. You're not supposed to kill uh, my co-workers and stuff. Like, I know I hate Godzilla, too, but, hey, like, let's be, re- let's be sensible here. Let's just not be like... We're gonna kill everything, right? Like, I thought we were just gonna kill Godzilla. And, uh, you know, let Monster Zero kind of work, like, attitude. Like, hey, like, let's give him a chance, you know, like, he's just getting started. Uh, so, Madison overhears this and steals the Orca, right? Remember, they think the Orca works. They think the Orca is what draws monsters and what controls monsters. So, Arriving at Fenway Park, Madison broadcasts a frequency that calms the Titans, but unwittingly attracts all of them to her location. Ghidorah, uh, Monster Zero lands in Boston to destroy the Orca, so lands in D.C. to destroy the Orca. Remember, we're at D.C. We're not going to do the fucking Boston bullshit. So Madison overhears the steals the Orca, arrives at somewhere in D.C., National Lawn or something, I don't know. Point is, they should have a bunch of, like, civilians and refugees, right? Like, a lot of people who are, like, huddling, like a, like a shelter or something. And she's trying to call Mothra. You remember, her friend and her psychic connection is to Mothra. So she thinks Mothra is, like, the most awesome, 
uh, Titan ever. Like, she thinks that she's, like, the purest, most angelic being, and she is. Uh, you know, she's not wrong. And so she wants Mothra to come over so that they can be saved from the storms, uh, which are building up. And they show, like, DC flooding, like, DC's being hit by, like, a massive, like, you know, Earth-wide hurricane. And uh, so she wants Mothra to come over there and, like, help him out. So she goes to the, the shelter, tries to call Mothra. Mothra does show up, like Mothra flies off, shows up real fast, and protects the city, like puts like her, like a little healing dome over it or whatever, like, you know, shields it with her wings or whatever. And uh, this unwittingly uncalls, you know, Monster Zero and Godzilla follows. So now you have Godzilla and Monster Zero walking to the same place, DC, like going to the same place. Mothra's already there protecting people protecting like you know innocent people and madison right this is the time where they meet again they can like you know she can lay her hand on mothra's face and they can be like oh yeah it's cute you know like yeah so all right let's see monster zero lands in dc to destroy the orca right uh, monster zero or godzilla arrives with monarch's assistance to engage him in battle that you could have him like you know that like you know comes with everyone comes with the, the good people the army and everything that's that's joined him versus the army that hasn't um okay so godzilla arrives monarch's assistance to engage him in battle mark leads a team to rescue madison and escape the city before after learning godzilla's radiation levels are increasing and will lead to thermonuclear explosion exactly he's going into meltdown you know like godzilla will melt down he's where he is people get cancer and they get sick so they know this they gotta they gotta evacuate dc and get madison out of there but madison being where mothra is like where is moth where is madison uh maybe where mothra is mothra is like you know over like a stadium or something like over like a monument you know like the lincoln memorial or something you know like and so she's like protecting dc she's protecting it you know like with her life as uh, the storm gets intense and lightning is like, you know, lashing all around from Monster Zero. Uh, Godzilla is like, you know, in the distance, like on the horizon, like showing up, like really kind of make it suspenseful where he's like, he's making good time, like, but he's still, you know, a gigantic animal who's far away. Like you can see him coming from miles away, but like he's still going to take a couple of minutes to get over there. Uh, so Monster Zero overpowers Godzilla and prepares to kill him, right? Let's see. Oh, wait, wait, never mind. Uh, so I missed a sense. Mothra arrives to help Godzilla, but is intercepted by Rodan. She defeats him and is badly injured in the process. Uh, really don't need to have that scene. That, that's stupid. Have Rodan try to fight Monster Zero. Have Rodan come out of nowhere. Uh, you think Monster Zero is going to blast the shit out of Mothra. Rodan shows up, distracts Monster Zero again. He you now gets taken down a second time. Like, Rodan's got a lot of heart. But, you know, he's just out of class. You know, have him, like, really, like, really slam through, like, major, like, you know, buildings and landmarks and stuff. Like, really, that's where a lot of, like, Monster Zero ass-kicking time is going to be, is, like, on Rodan. Um, Monster Zero overpowers Godzilla and prepares to kill him. But Mothra sacrifices herself to transfer her energy to Godzilla, rapidly healing him. Uh, good, but the better option would be Monster Zero is going to finish off Godzilla with, like, this supercharged blast, and Mothra protects Godzilla with, like, some kind of shield, like, some kind of force shield, and you realize, oh, just like how Godzilla, uh, 
is the only, like Godzilla's atomic breath is the only weapon that can hurt Monster Zero. The only thing that can block a Monster Zero's beams, like his lightning beams, is Mothra's wings or something like that. Like Monster's psychic, Mothra's psychic energy is the only thing that can shield from uh, Monster Zero's like beams, and that should already have been established because she was protecting the civilians, the refugees from Monster Zero for like hours. You know, like she was protecting Madison for hours from Monster Zero's lightning. So it's basically Monster Zero's lightning cannot go through Mothra's wings, right? Like it doesn't hurt Mothra. Uh, so she blocks it. She helps out Godzilla, and you're like, oh, I get it. like Mothra can see past the fact that Godzilla is like this brute. And she knows that Godzilla needs to, like, you know, really be here to, like, you know, fight for Earth. And that, you know, so she helps him out. Uh, Mark, Emma, and Madison are reunited and reactivate the Orca to lure Ghidorah, uh, the Monster Zero, away from Godzilla. Emma sacrifices herself to lead Monster Zero away, giving Mark, Madison, and Monarch time to escape. See, that's kind of redundant. You just have Mark, Emma, and Madison are reunited, or Mark and Madison are reunited. Emma sacrifices herself. They don't all three have to be reunited. Mark and Madison are reunited. Uh, Emma sacrifices herself. Dr. Emma, uh, you know, she just sacrifices herself, feeling bad. Uh, you know, Monster Zero kills her or whatever. Ironic poetic justice, giving Mark, Madison, and the other Monarch staff time to escape. Yeah, this is the time when all, like, you know, don't have the soldiers. Have the other people in Monarch, like the guy with gray hair, the Chinese doctor, the nerd guy. Have them actually play a part in, like, this ground op to kind of, like, make you give a shit for why you even cared the first time when you saw them. So, yeah, actually have them be relevant. Um, Godzilla enters a newly empowered state and defeats Monster Zero with nuclear pulses. Rodan and other titans converge on Godzilla and bow to him. Okay, so this is a very important part of the movie because it's the end of the movie, right? So, Godzilla enters a newly empowered state and defeats Ghidorah with nuclear pulses. Yes, have him enter a new kind of thermonuclear energy state, like a new kind of, like, super Godzilla state like he had him, and have him shoot an extremely powerful bolt of energy that definitely, like, annihilates God, like Monster Zero and can be seen from space, like really have it be like that planet uh, Godzilla-type uh, red beam that destroys that meteorite-like type thing. Like it fucking goes in like like to the moon type thing. Like it carves into the moon. You know, like damn, like Godzilla has reached a new level of fucking power. And uh, everyone is just really in awe. When that happens, they're like, yeah, but they're also like, what the fuck? Like... Like, everyone's super excited and happy that Monster Zero is dead, but then they realize Godzilla is gone fucking... He's jumped the shark. He has become something else. Like, there is not really anything left of Godzilla in this new monster. He's this, like, super, like, fucking gnarly, like, radioactive meltdown on legs. Like, total Fukushima on legs. You know, like, his eye, like, have his eyes be different. Like, have him, like, where they, like... like uh, Dr. Ishiro is like, oh, this isn't, you know, like, this isn't the one that he loved. This is something else. This is something, like, you know, evil. And have all the other Titans, like, that are coming to the area, that are coming to DC, that to stop him, that are gonna try to, like, fight him. And then have the series of, you know, like, post-clippings and sequences afterwards 
be like uh, news clippings of our video segments, like on cell phones and of like major news networks uh, and like military footage, like from helicopters and planes and stuff of Godzilla just fucking murdering the shit out of monsters. Like, you know, at least do 10. You know, and it's just Godzilla, like, ripping heads off, ripping arms off, like, blowing monsters apart with his breath. And you're like, damn, like, he went on a full-on murder spree after the movie ended and, like, really killed most of the monsters that you saw. Like, there was nothing going to stop. They didn't bow to him, and he was like, yeah, I'm the boss. Like, he just went full-on, like, maniac Godzilla. You know, he's like, you know, he's evil Godzilla at this point. And they make the credits really be like, oh, and he's going to Skull Island. Like, oh, yeah, and he is going to Skull Island. Like, without a doubt, all the scientists are watching him. All the militaries are watching him. That motherfucking Godzilla is going to Skull Island. And um, if you're going to kiss some Chinese ass by including Chinese characters, now is a good time to be like, oh, and Skull Island's in the Pacific Ocean near China in the South China Sea. The Chinese military isn't going to put up with Godzilla walking around in its backyard, and so it's going to try to fight them with, like, you know, the largest military ever assembled, thus establishing that the third movie will have at least one major action, like, scene, one major battle scene between, like, say, the Chinese Navy and Godzilla. But there would be, like, thousands of ships versus, you know, a now super-atomic Godzilla. And also that, you know, the world is now, like, third one will be that undoubtedly the world preparing with great seriousness to, to you know, still annihilate Godzilla. Because Godzilla is now it, un, indiscriminate or indisputably uh, the king of the monsters. And that should be the meaning of that title. It's not, not that Godzilla is now, like, the Superman of monsters and the hero, like, you know, the... the world champion of monsters but he is now like you know public enemy number one he is now the the most feared thing on earth like he and that would be extremely relevant for today's times and everything that he would be this uh anti-hero he would be this like
is six years old. Um, and uh, and um, I'm going to then give you my uh, alternative, uh, creative take on it and how I would improve it and how, um, you know, what works and what doesn't of the original. So, without further ado, Godzilla 2014. In 1954, Godzilla, a prehistoric alpha predator, is lured to Bikini Atoll in an attempt to kill him with a nuclear bomb. In 1999, monarch scientist Ishiro Suiza and Vivian Graham investigate the skeleton of monsters similar to Godzilla in a cavern unearthed by a collapsed uranium mine in the Philippines. They also find two giant spores, one dormant and one hatched, along with a trail leading to the sea. In Japan, the Janjiri nuclear power plant experiences unusual seismic activity as supervisor Joe Brody sends his wife Sandra to te- lead a team of technicians into the reactor. A tremor breaches the reactor, forcing Joe to close the reactor door before Sandra and her team can escape while the plant collapses. Fifteen years later, Joe and Sandra's son, Ford, a U.S. Navy EOD officer, returns from a tour of duty to his wife, Elle, and son, Sam, in San Francisco, but must immediately depart for Japan after Joe is detained for trespassing in Janjuri's quarantine zone. Joe is determined to find out the cause of the meltdown and persuades Ford to accompany him to retrieve vital data from their old home. They discover the zone is uncontaminated and retrieve the data, but are discovered and taken to a facility in the plant's ruins. The facility harbors a massive chrysalis that had been feeding off of the plant's reactors for 15 years and emitting strong electromagnetic pulses over time. A giant winged insect-like creature emerges from the chrysalis and escapes, destroying the facility. Joe is severely injured and later dies. The incident is reported as an earthquake. Sherazara and Graham join a U.S. Navy task force led by Admiral William Stins to search for the creature, dubbed the Muto massive unidentified terrestrial organism. Sarah Zara and Graham reveal to Ford that a 1954 deep sea expedition awakened Godzilla and a nuclear tests in the 1950s were really attempts to kill him. When this did not work, Project Monarch was established to secretly study Godzilla and similar monsters. They also explained the Mudo caused the Janjiri meltdown. Ford reveals Joe had monitored echolocation signals indicating the Muto was communicating with something, presumably Godzilla. The attacks on Russian submarines, or the Muto attacks a Russian submarine and drops it on Oahu to eat its nuclear material. Godzilla arrives, causing a tsunami in Honolulu, and briefly engages the Muto in battle until the Muto flees. 
Sewazawa deduces the Muto was communicating with something else, prompting the military to investigate the other spores stored in the Yucca Mountain Nuclear Waste Repository in Nevada. However, a second, bigger, wingless Muto has already emerged and attacks Las Vegas. The scientists deduced that it is a female and was what the male was communicating with. Their signals being a mating call. Over the scientists' objections, Stans approves a plan to use a nuclear warhead to lure all three monsters out in the open ocean and destroy them. Returning to the U.S., Four joins the team delivering the warheads by train, but the female Muto intercepts them and devours most of the warheads. The remaining warhead is airlifted with Ford to San Francisco, where the monsters are converging and activated after Godzilla appears at the Golden Gate Bridge, only for the male Muto to snatch it and take it to the female, who forms a nest around it in the Chinatown area. While Godzilla and the Muto's battle, Ford and a strike team enter the city via a halo jump to find and disarm the warhead before it detonates. Unable to access the timer, the team gets the warhead on a boat for disposal at sea. While Ford destroys the nest, Godzilla defeats the Mutos and collapses on the shore from exhaustion. Ford gets the boat out to open sea, is rescued before the warhead explodes, and reunites with his family at an emergency shelter the following morning. Godzilla reawakens and returns to the sea, while the media dubs him the king of the monsters and speculate whether he might be a savior. As you can tell, I'm really trying to... Uh to explore this voice acting thing to really, I really like the idea of voice acting. I really like it as a uh, potential career and as a, uh, at least, you know, a skill to learn. You know, I really think the spoken word has a lot of power. And as someone who has uh, listened to radio and uh, the spoken word, like like audiobooks and, you know, old Orson Welles plays and things like that, um, I definitely can appreciate uh, you know, just the art of presentation. Okay, so um, now that was the original unaltered uh, form of it, and I'm trying to kind of summarize it. So I'll read it now. Like it's a good movie. I really like it. I think that the the pace is extremely slow so as i rewrite it you'll notice how i basically just want to make it a little bit more hardcore and i think it was too subtle and subdued i also want to change and more complicate the motivations to kind of add some intrigue and to kind of add some suspense because like, like i already did two and i'm not really like, i can't don't really ever care if sequels have like a strong interconnectivity where characters have to be resolved and like, this isn't Harry Potter. This is a Godzilla movie, which is set years apart. So I understand the characters aren't going to be preserved. 
Like, I, I'm not saying, okay, I'm going to rewrite this movie, and then I'm going to try to include Ford in the sequel, or I think Ford should be the, the hero of all three of the Godzilla movies, so watch how it progresses, and he will get, like, like an eye patch and stuff. No. <clears throat> no, but I will, um, I will understand that, you know, this movie, for what it was, was the first one, so it was trying out new ground, and, and the American audience has never truly... Um, been thought of as a fan of the giant monster movie genre um, due to a lot of uh, misconceptions about the low budget movies of the 80s and 70s and 90s and their use of I guess you call it small to mid-sized monsters uh, Americans have a lot of practical effects so we don't really try to make the scale of our monsters anything larger than say a dinosaur or a big shark um, but you know, we this we had this, we were trying out the CGI and everything in 2014. Um, apparently, this movie was started in 2004, and uh, the project was formalized in 2009. It was started in 2010. Uh, once they had all the the directions and lined up and everything, they filmed it in 2013. It made 500 million dollars. So. Uh, most of that was on the success of uh, Bill Cranston in uh, Breaking Bad and his popularity. Uh, so, as, as well as the the Titanic, the iconic and, and Titanic success of Godzilla, and the anticipation of the you know an original all American production of it. Uh, I think Americans have always tried to and desired a Godzilla for our very own. It's like King Kong is our, or is our Godzilla of our very own. It's just a, a difficult franchise to kind of create because Americans can't uh, suspend the disbelief of just being able to annihilate uh, our enemies. And so we don't have the right zeitgeist to kind of appropriate defeat. So, you know, I understand that it's, it's sensible how they approached it. It's, it's understandable how they approached it the way they did, which was, uh, you know, very cautious but i think godzilla deserved more than eight minutes of airtime i think you know we, we could have accepted a story led by the actions of godzilla and the fights and the battles and the, the you know human cast could have been periphery could have been much less the center and focus of the movie we didn't need to see what was in vogue at the time which were these super lugubrious sad like just grim and and like depressing uh, depictions of like alternate realities like Walking Dead and Breaking Bad and you know True Detective it, like that era of the early 2010s uh, appropriately was like the early 1980s and it was ex getting grim very fast like you know getting getting very um, you know lifetime emotional drama like centric into all the movies at the time were very much like you know depressing and sad traumatic stress disorder like films which at the time emotionally I, I completely synced up with because I was suffering the you know my first divorce and uh, the honorable medical discharge from the Navy and you know suffering with a lot of like mental shit from the SSP and, and, and remembering it but denying it and, and trying to you know really adjust to being a civilian and, but that's neither here nor there so without further ado let's get to my version of it without you know 
I want to roll. I've been just, you know, I've been, I've been just kind of enjoying the hell out of this. I totally get why people do this. I don't even care if a single person watches this. I'm going to be doing a lot of movies. And I know I don't even care how people react to it because uh, this is something that I'm enjoying and I'm finding extremely therapeutic. Okay, so in 1954, Godzilla, a prehistoric alpha predator, is lured at the bikini of its hole and attempt to kill him with a nuclear bomb. I like that. Love that. Love the aesthetic. Love the whole uh, title sequences. I love the whole um, aesthetic of the, the secret class, redacted documents and the government, like, file footage and photos and, like, the damage and the missing ship reports and, like, the denial and cover-up. Like, this is an alternate reality where Godzilla exists, but it happens that it's discovered post-World War II, I got it. I would prefer it if it was actually discovered World War II. If they were like, you know, if they used the Kong revision and they had like a, a set in stone uh, back, you know, history for the MonsterVerse, like they weren't just like getting their feet wet. Uh, like if they actually had a concise like story that started in World War II and it was like, you know, joint, like people... They were able to hide Godzilla in the chaos of World War II and the fog of war, but both the Imperial Japanese and the United States were losing ships to Godzilla. That would have been a better, like, you have, have a serious gravitas, and obviously, like, an, uh, an immediate effect that Godzilla is a more dangerous uh, element than uh, war, even even war, except for nuclear war, atomic war, like a direct metaphor, because he would have appeared in World War II when the atomic bomb was first used in World War II. He would have appeared in the middle of the Japanese and United States navies uh, engaging, say, like in Midway or something. Like, you have the file footage of the ships and the kamikaze bombers, and then, like, all the, and then all of a sudden, like, Godzilla, like, breaks the surface with his back, and you're like, oh, fuck. Like, this, like, the exact, like, get it? Like, the world would have changed that moment. <laughs> or, like, they would have, like, it, it would have been weirder if they would, like, have, uh, you know, blamed, uh, him coming to shore like on Nagasaki or Hiroshima on the atomic bombing and then like you know that was what, that's what would have made peace between the Japanese and America was they they teamed up to fight the Godzilla monster the the rogue kaiju Godzilla because you know that, that would have been the true reason for peace but they couldn't they, the Americans decided to keep it secret everyone decided to keep it secret okay so but I love the fact that the bikini asshole bomb, like how that, that scene was set up where they showed the bomb with the big Godzilla with the uh, cross out and, and uh, uh, it rose on the island and then the island blew up, vaporized with the, the hydrogen bomb. Fucking awesome. Like that, that scene was cool. In 1999, Monarch scientist Ishiro uh, Sirizawa and Vivian Graham. See, that's like the Japanese-American uh, alliance. Monarch would have been a Japanese-American uh, joint venture. You know, like that would have been a good like backstory was that there's a, an equal amount of Japanese and an equal amount of American presence. Investigate the skeleton of a monster similar to Godzilla in a cavern unearthed by a collapsed uranium mine in the Philippines. I like that. Hey, that that's cool. I like to have the idea that we're finding fossils currently, but it's like kind of covered up by the big mining corporations like that generally make up the ICC, Atlantis Rising, like the New World Order is able to cover it up. And they also find two giant spores, one dormant, one hatched. They should have found two giant eggs. I don't know why they call them spores. 
these just big ass Mothra eggs, you know what I'm saying? Like definitely allude to the fact that the big fucking eggs are just hanging out in the wild, like like Mothra eggs, you know, like definitely allude to it. And that would have been a great like controversy is that when people saw it without any you know forewarning, they would have thought, oh, Mothra might have been in this. It is a insect. If anything, these mutos are akin to uh, the giant mantids or uh, uh, that big-ass dragonfly. I forget its name. It's a newer one uh, in the Godzilla franchise. The insect-type spider. Like, you know, it, that's my idea. I'll, I'll explain that as I get to the mudos. But they find two eggs, right? One hatched, one dormant. Right? And they, they should have found three, two hatched, one dormant, right? Along with a trail leading to the sea. Or all three hatched. Fuck it. Like, exactly. Just find three giant eggs inside the skeleton. Whatever was in there has already left. And it's left a long time ago. Not, like, exactly find the, the uh, tunnel they dug. Whatever was in there dug out to the ocean. And it's, like, part of the bay. And you're like, oh, like, I could see, and that would be kind of like, you see these things that are, like, geological formations, like bays and islands and stuff that was caused by, you know, like, the, the kaiju, the titans, um, because they're so big, they can just basically change the landscape, even when they just hatch. Okay, so... In Japan, the Jinjuri nuclear power plant experiences unusual seismic activity as Supervisor Joe Brody sends his wife, Sandra, to lead a team of technicians into the reactor. A tremor breaches the reactor, forcing Joe to close the reactor door before Sandra and her team can escape while the plant closes. Like that scene? I think that's one of the best in the MonsterVerse so far. This, uh, this cinematic universe so far is uh, the sheer gravitas, the sheer emotionality of it, you know, the the uh the power of the emotion the uh it's well acted it's cinematic cinematography very uh, uh cinematographically very nice looking it's very uh you know it's not i'd say breathtaking but it definitely um is a well-produced scene it's well filmed scene okay so um i think yeah that, that would i'd keep exactly how it is 15 years later, Joe and Sandra's son, Ford, a U.S. Navy EOD officer, returns from a tour of duty to his wife, Ellen, son, Sam, in San Francisco, but must immediately part for Japan after Joe is detained for trespassing in Jinjuri's quarantine zone. I like the idea that he's in the United States Navy. I don't like the, I like the idea that he's married and that he has a son. I don't like the idea that he's in San Francisco and is returning from a tour of duty. I thought that was the most... Uh, for what happens and how it does it, I thought that was the most asinine, like, uh, fucking place to start because you just start him in japan he's living in base housing in okinawa you know he's a japan he's a he's an uh he's an okanis and he's living uh you know in japan uh in a tour having to do something with o with okinawa right like and, and you don't have to make him an eod officer you can make him anything really to fit what that like, requires and they have eod officers in okinawa so I don't see why he wouldn't be there. Right. And so like they, that would be a big thing. Like his wife and his kid are have like culture shock. And basically they just wait for him because they love him. And they have to, they don't speak Japanese. Like he, he could have a couple of scenes where he's like, even he's trying to learn Japanese. And, you know, they're like, whatever. Like, we'll just, you know, we don't need to worry about it too much because we love each other type thing. And his father lives there. Or, or that's, that would be a better 
switch. He lives in Japan. He has this history with Japan, uh, right? So he, he's the one who's very comfortable living there, and his family isn't. And his father is arrested at the airport because, you know, he was making a scene because they were trying to take some of his like paperwork or whatever away from him because he looks suspicious or I don't know you know like he they detained him because he's like a unknown criminal you know and he needs to he can only be allowed in the country with like supervision and you know and so you could easily have made that comedic scene which would have uh, you know given you a better route than having the son travel to Japan where the father was arrested but not deported or you know investigated at all and the father is like an expert in Japanese like he can speak Japanese fluently and he's like you know been there for approximately like 30 years I'm assuming 20 years uh, in in canon you know so anyway that's my take on that that's how you would fix that situation and you keep just going right on with who they are it doesn't really change their dynamic but it does change the simple uh you know, arrangement and coordination of these characters. Like, it hits their mark easier. Um, So Joe is determined to find out the cause of the meltdown and persuades Ford to accompany him to retrieve vital data from their old home. It's the reason why Joe visits him. Like, uh, you know, the the son, Ford, thinks, oh, he's coming to see me after my tour of duty or whatever. And, you know, he's come see his grandson. And really, the the Joe is just like, no, no, we got to go. Like, you're going to help me. And we're going to find out the truth of your mom. And he's like, come on, I thought you'd, like, get over it. Like, I thought you are going to enjoy life and, like, you know, enjoy. Like, you didn't even, like, hug my grandson. Like, he's just immediately like, okay, when are we going to go? Like, I got, like, you know, I can only be here for so long. Like, we got to do it now. And he's got, like, radiation suits and, like, all this crazy shit, like, Geiger counters and stuff. And that's why uh, he had got in trouble when he came through the airport. Because they were like, who the fuck brings, like, Geiger counters to Japan and stuff? Like, you know, like, they were just suspicious. And they, they didn't let him go, like, until Ford came and got him. Yeah. Okay, so that's that. So they go... Uh, they get geared up, and they find out the dynamic that Ford's willing to help him, but he's getting very frustrated with his uh, enabling. Or he like every his wife and his son, and like all his like friends are like, "You're just enabling him. Like you know, get over it. Like he got you got to put your foot down. Like this is the last time." And he's like, "Okay, one more time, and then like you know, I'm gonna tell him on this trip that." I'm, I'm not helping him do be fucking crazy anymore. Like, he's, he can't come around or and, and do this anymore in Japan. Like, he's got to, like, I'm not going to help him. So, they discover the, the zone is uncontaminated. So, that would be a big surprise when he takes off his mask. I like that. Most of Bill Cranston's scenes are great. And retrieve the data. But they are discovered and taken to a facility in the plant's ruins. I also like that. I like how Monarch jumps him. I like how uh, when he has, like, the scene where he's being interrogated and he's, like, speaks Japanese. He's like, I don't want to speak to you. I want to speak to him. You know, like, he's, he knows he's being, like, two-way mirror. Like, I love that scene. And um, at this point, it's still very much Bill Cranston's the main star. And I understand that Bill Cranston dies. I'm not going to try to keep him alive, like, as and make him, like, the entire movie focus. But this is very much Bill Cranston's uh, film at this point. Right. So, the facility harbors a massive chrysalis that had been feeding off of the plant's reactors for 15 years and emitting strong electromagnetic pulses over time. A giant winged insect-like creature emerges from the chrysalis and escapes, destroying the facility. Joe is severely injured and later dies. The incident is reported as an earthquake. 
I get it. I like it. I think it's cool. I don't think it should be a chrysalis. I think it should be um, another egg. Like, I think it should be, like, an egg that didn't hatch that was the exact same as the eggs that uh, they were found in the skeleton. Right? And so, big-ass uh, earthquake happens. It's kind of mysterious, but one of those mutos definitely uh, wrecks the joint, right? Kills uh, Joe. And so this, the Ford sees it. Ford sees it, the exact replay of what his father experienced with, like, the father having to be left behind and the, the devastation caused by one of these fucking uh, kaiju that wakes up, these mutos. Like, he, he gets it. Like, this is his wake-up time. This is also when he takes over the movie. <clears throat> is when uh, <clears throat> Joe Cranston dies. and But he doesn't like, you know, you could have a hospital bed scene where, he, you know, he's like, okay, I get it, Dad. Like, I'm going to, you know, definitely, you know, live through you, live your dream or whatever, you know, like, I'll revenge you. And, you know, his, his Avenger moment. The incident is reported as an earthquake. This is also when, he, as a uh, U.S. Navy person, he starts beginning to question the government and, like, starts thinking for himself, kind of, is when he's like, wait a minute, like, I thought it would be front-page news. Um, I watched the film Sicario uh, and Sicario 2 uh, recently. Again, I love those films. And one of the most subtle and great lines in that film, the whole movie is very subtle, uh, for as over-the-top as it really, you know, tries to be, um, is uh oh man we just made the front page news in, in el paso and he goes oh it won't even make the four o'clock news here like and and so that would be kind of thing like you're starting to realize that this world is one of secrecy and uh clandestine operation and like the big media companies are all complicit with the deep state uh militarization of paramilitary actions of, uh, you know, every aspect of life. You know, so he's like, oh my God, like the news is totally like helping out Monarch and Monarch is like, in this, yeah, he could be like, you know, this is when he's going to be speaking to Monarch and, and, and kind of like get a grip on who they are. So, Shirazawa and Graham join a U.S. Navy task force led by Admiral William Steins to search for the creature dubbed Muto massive unidentified terrestrial organism see this is where forward would be kind of coming in because they would like be involved with the navy and uh there's i think in that scene um he kind of is all like you're coming with me like we're the navy and you're coming along that'd be just keep forward along for the ride uh you know and he'd be kind of like like they're kind of like a middleman you know, he'd be able to speak the lingo for the Navy and give him, like, street cred. And he'd always be the one, like, backing him up and, like, supporting him. And that'd be kind of, like, a running thing. Like, the top brass are, like, who are these fucking scientists? Like, this is bullshit. The Navy does its own thing. And he'd be like, nah, you gotta, like, listen to him. Like, I'm an officer, too. Like, you gotta give him, like, these guys are the specialists and stuff. So, um, M-U-T-O. Muto. Call it M-U-T-O. Call it, like, these are M-U-T-O's, like UFO's. Kind of, like, really hearken to that UAP-type aesthetic of it, right? Like, this is, uh, like, you know, this is soft disclosure. This is, like, you know, they're telling you that these these massive creatures really do exist. We call them M-U-T-O's, like, really designate them as, like, a, mis like a mystery and not, like, a, like a, but a very, like, you know, like UFOs, unidentified flying object, like something that might have been investigated by the Air Force, something that might have been investigated by the, you know, um, the Environmental Society, uh, Science Agency, and, and the United States, 
the uh, ESA, the, or I think it's OESA, the Ocean and Environment Science Agency. Like, really get, like, the top brass involved. Like, really start delving into that alphabet soup agency uh, world. Okay. So, Sirizo, and, like, definitely get the files. Like, more of that. Like, more evidence, more files, more of, like, the digital, like, ring up, like, research. Like, they're showing them, and they're showing them, like, old, like, grainy black and white photos and, like, you know, VHS, like, copies. Like, copies of VHS tapes that look like they're from, like, the news in, like, Latin America. Or, like, you know... Uh, like interviews with people who are, are, are talking about surviving attacks from monsters like really get like this is like you know they're investigating globally the this uh this emerging phenomenon and threat um you don't have to like make up a lot of other mudos at this point to say just keep telling people like oh i survived godzilla or this is what godzilla did this is what godzilla did you know these these other monsters these are new like these are the ones that that our second Godzilla was the first. He's like the second, third, and like the fourth, but they're all the the same type. The ones that followed are all the same. Sirizawa and Graham revealed to Ford that a 1954 deep sea expedition awakened Godzilla and nuclear tests in the 1950s really attempts to kill him. And what when this did not work, Project Monarch was established to secretly study Godzilla and similar monsters. This is the point I was just saying, and like you know, show the tapes, show like the really aesthetic of like the old like you know film reel, like the, the overhead projector like guys in the like smoky rooms and like black suits like you know like soullessly discussing like the defense department issues like that's really cool like you know like that that would be really like fit the whole fucking aesthetic that they want to go to that it's like an artistic um you know expression and like a take on the government so they also explained that muto caused the Janjiro meltdown and they, they explained that like you know like that was the egg they had they had found it it grew they were waiting for it to hatch uh they, they generally knew kind of what it was capable of and like but they didn't know like this is a surprise to them this is because this is the first film i want them to be like monarch be very kind of out of its element even though this is its element like this is a you know the secret government agency and like joint task force but it's like well yeah we just wanted the egg to hatch like we had no idea really what was going to happen or what it was. Okay. Ford reveals Joe had monitored echolocation signals indicating the MUTO was communicating with something, presumably Godzilla. That's cool, but I also just want him to be like, um, you know, he wants him to know that that his father had like a history with it and like, you know, th this is, you know, extremely personal to him. I mean, Joe didn't have to have unique data or evidence that they as a scientific organization that's you know top secret and given like unlimited funding wouldn't have like you know they would like just have it so that joe is like super personal about it the Muto attacks a Russian submarine and drops it on Oahu to eat its nuclear material. Good. I like that. I like the idea that it's dangerous from the start and it's hungry. But have more submarines. Be like an entire... Uh, like the world is, like the world's militaries are at a, the brink of war because no one knows what's happening to their submarines. But there are like, you know, dozens of submarines in a straight line that are like, you know taken out and they're all like chinese submarines and like russian submarines and like japanese like, i mean like americans submarines like you know like it's 
like the Navy is the world of blaming each other, but no one's taking, like, no one knows for sure what's going on, and everyone's very, you know, concerned and, and like, afraid. Um, but then you find that in Oahu, like, use satellites and, like, like spy satellites that track down and find radiation signals, and then, like, you show, like, really flex, like, that Doppler radar-type GPS Google Earth shit and, like, spy satellite NRO technology, and they zoom in, and it's, like, a beach with, like, a shit ton of submarines, and these MUTOs are there, and they're all three of all three of them are there, and they're eating the submarines. Like, one of them is going to get it, and, like, bringing to the other ones. Like, the strongest sibling is bringing it to the little ones. And this is a dynamic that the MUTOs are going to have, is that instead of two, there should be three. And, uh, you know are four and i'll get to why there should be four of them but they should all be kind of you know they, they need each other to survive and they all bring a little bit different things to the table okay but that would be kind of add to their insect-like quality that would add kind of like to their like they're the opposite of godzilla they're like a swarm uh type opponent you know and it's not like this giant monolithic uh beast or this you know dyad that were one flies and the other one's a tank but like more of like they're they're a very um you know they they augment each other they increase each other they're a force multiplier uh, for each other like each one is a force multiplier for the other um Okay, so, so, yeah. Let's get on with it again. Okay, so they find the submarines, they find them eating it. Okay, so. Godzilla arrives, causing a tsunami in Honolulu, and briefly engages the Muto in battle until the Muto flees. This would be great if it had, like, a, a Pearl Harbor aesthetic to it. Like, instead of happening at night where everyone's out clubbing, have it happen, like, in the morning when everyone's asleep kind of thing. And, uh... Godzilla does like cross one of the Hawaiian islands to go to the Mutos and that's when the first time the world at large sees Godzilla like it cannot be covered up and denied and it's like going viral on the news and um, you know like people are freaking the fuck out and they think they don't know what to think and they're like you know people are dead it's mass devastation like I think the damage in Honolulu was very brief with the tsunami but I think that's on the right vein like have the when Godzilla rises from the ocean, be it like he brings the ocean with him, like he's a living tidal wave. They're very relevant with the giant tsunami that happened in 2004 and uh, Fukushima in 2011. Like, have that connectivity between um, uh, tidal waves and um, and Godzilla. Like the the aesthetic behind this great sea. Uh, like surge of seawater or the surge of uh of the depths and like um i think it'd be kind of cool to show the devastation of the aftermath like i like how they kind of did that like they showed you when it started and they kind of showed you the aftermath of a lot of things what? and if you wanted to stick with that aesthetic which i'm not i don't have a problem with uh show like washed up whales show the radiation like like people going around and testing for radiation and like show the people getting sick like nauseous like vomiting the hospitals are full uh first responders are you know maxed out uh military is coming in like you know doing its best to establish martial law and like fema 
and it's just like wow like like this is unforged and like dr irizawa are kind of like walking around they're like damn like like okay we get this is a big prop godzilla's coming after these guys uh godzilla's a fucking menace and uh you know this is gonna be bad news for everybody okay so but then like you know the mudos flee uh, well, we really don't see the battle or where they go. So, Sirizawa deduces that Muto was communicating with something else. Probably the military investigates the other egg stored in the Yucca Mountain Nuclear Waste Depository in Nevada. Uh, I don't really like... Like, I can't change it because that's a setting by my own rules. But I'm going to say I did not like this addition. I thought it was clumsy. And I thought it was very contrived. But, okay, so... They have an egg in a bunker in Nevada, right next to Las Vegas, and the egg hatches. So there's already three or four of them, and now there's going to be a fifth one. And, um, okay, so that's nothing, too. After the Honolulu scene, have it where it's killed a Muto. One of the Mutos is definitely dead. Like, that's part of the cleanup. Like, the military is, like, trying to move, and, like, like Monarch's trying to secure this corpse and like they're studying it and they're like super excited and like taking samples and stuff but like that kind of is ironically juxtaposed to the devastation and the death of this city in this major american state honolulu um in hawaii you know like it's a second pearl harbor like you know it's this repeat of that kind of like you know that devastation and the monarch people are like, yes, this is the best thing that's ever happened to us. We got our hand on a fucking Muto. Like, we got, like, an actual Muto. This is going to change the world. And uh, that's when Ford kind of, like, maybe loses his shit and is like, you know, there are families that died. Like, families like mine. Like, you know, you don't get it. Like, like my mom and my dad, like, both died. And my kids could die. Like, no, like, you don't get it. Like, kind of thing. Because he's deep. You know, he's, like, he's deep. And, uh, okay, so. One Muto down. There's, like, three Mudos left. Uh, they have fled. Um, no one knows. Like, you know, people are busy. They, you know, like, trying to handle the aftermath of this battle, um, which happened at the airport. Like, you can show, like, you know, that whole battle scene. But, you know, one of them gets whacked. And uh, the three, uh, this is, like, kind of when you first, like, because, like, so we didn't see the battle. Um, and that's kind of, like, a choice, like, an artistic choice. Uh, but the egg, I guess, in Nevada hatches, and this thing comes out, and it, like, you know, crosses Las Vegas, and that that's that scene, which is cool. I like the effects of that. I like the aesthetic of that. Okay. However, a second bigger wingless Mudo has already emerged and attacks Las Vegas. The scientists deduce that this is a female and was that was the male was communicating with, their signals being a mating call. Okay, because I can't change that. As like, like I'm not gonna redesign the monsters too much, but that's the big wingless female. She's like the queen, right? She's like big and like you know, like a thick tank wall, um, like a breeder, and uh, she's now in the desert of Western like America, like and so, um, you know, like kind of like I'm wandering around, like I don't, I don't explain what happens. Um, so Godzilla is presumably in pursuit of the other Mutos who are presumably trying to connect with the female Muto. And, um... Okay, so this is, I guess, where we're going with it, so... Because I haven't changed too much about the aesthetic so far. 
The scientists deduced that it is a female and it was the male who was communicating with Mako. Over the scientists' objections, Stein's approves a plan to use nuclear warheads to lure all three monsters, or however many monsters we have now, out to the open ocean and destroy them. Returning to the U.S., Ford joins the team delivering the warheads by train, but the female Muto intercepts them and devours most of the warheads. The remaining warhead is later lifted to Ford, San Francisco, where the monsters are converging and activate it after Godzilla appears at the Golden Gate Bridge, only for the male mutant to snatch it and take it to the female who forms a nest around it in the Chinatown area. This chunk of the movie fucking blows. I know it's impressive visually, but it is just dumb and very contrived. Okay. An organic way to do this was Stein saying, okay, we're predicting that three... Mutos that have survived and Godzilla himself are coming to America to land in California to, you know, directly intersect. They're heading up, like, like as the crow flies, they're heading in a straight line. Like, it is 100% certain that they are coming and predicted to come, you know, into California. But, like, say San Francisco. If you want to keep San Francisco, keep San Francisco. Any city would have worked. L.A. would have worked. But San Francisco, because you want the bridge. I get that. I get it. They want the... the the symbolism of San Francisco Golden Gate Bridge, which represents the Earth Alliance and, you know, represents a lot of heavy symbolism, so I get it. Um, so, they're coming to San Francisco directly aligned. The females crossing over the Sierra Mountains and, and to San Francisco because that's where they're going to be meeting at or whatever. And Steins uh, wants to nuke the Mutos and Godzilla in the ocean before, because he can't nuke the Muto on land because he doesn't want to drop an atomic bomb on U.S. soil. Understandable motivation from the U.S. commander of this, like, intervention fleet, right? And he's like, okay, I can just stop the monsters because I'm not fucking friends with Godzilla. You know, we've been trying to kill Godzilla uh, as, you know, a military since 1950-something. This is going to be, like, my chance to do it. And he's got, like, a hydrogen bomb instead of a nuclear warhead. He's got, like, a shitload of bombs, and he like planet godzilla drops like hundreds of nukes into the ocean and like hopes that they kill them this is where you learn that radiation uh makes the monsters stronger and this is where they're like oh like the, the face palm moment where they're like sir like once all the, the the clouds like imagine all the water vapor shooting up and like you know uh, like a hundred hydrogen bombs in the water like in the middle of the ocean how impressive of a scene that would have been but then like sonar picks up all the monsters are not only alive but they're now even bigger and like they've mutated like they've evolved like now they can fly so now you have three uh, mudos male mudos you know exactly as they were represented in the original in 2014 like they can fly they can EMP blast and they render the navy ships you know inert and uh, blacked out because of their EMP pulses. Uh, the jets all fall out of the sky. You know, it's a huge loss of life, a huge loss of, uh, you know, face for the, the, the human uh, military, human naval uh, intervention force. And now nothing can stop them from going to California and meeting up with the female, uh, you know, except for the National Guard and, and things like that. But there's not, like, anyone between here and there for them. So the National Guard's got to, like, defend San Francisco. They put the tanks on the bridge. That whole shit happens. But, you know, exactly. Godzilla's still in the fight. He surges up. You know, back plates, like, rise up. Um, and, and then, you know, 
know, he's, he's, he's the cavalry. He's, you know, the only hope we have. And he follows and pursues the Mudos and does not take the opportunity to, like, destroy the Navy, for example. Like, he's not, like, this vengeful brute. And there's a point where they're at his mercy. Like, Godzilla, like, might look at the guy who uh, nuked him or might look at Shirazawa and, like, right in the eye and be like, like, okay, I get it, bitch. But, like, you know, like, you get one of those. But, like, you know... It's a lucky day. I got other things to do. You're like, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna break a sweat on on the human navy. I gotta stop these mudos, right? Because, like you saw the skeleton, they're his arch enemy. They're his natural predator. So he's got to do something about it, right? All right. So. Okay. So that's that scene. That's that. I'm an element of it. They go to the Golden Gate Bridge. Mudos attack the National Guard um, because of the uh, the EMP blast. The whole city blacks out. The female, you know, gets them into a crossfire, so they don't really last very long. The tanks get smushed and stuff. Um, the defender, like, the city's trying to evac, and they all go into the shelters while the Mudos descend on them and, like, like gather around uh, the queen, which takes, like, you know, the female, which takes, like, a defensive position in Chinatown. Like I said, I'm not sitting in the settings or the key points, so we're working with what we got. But now there's three flying male mutos with EMP blasts, right? Godzilla comes now. Boom. Godzilla, right? Uh, he attacks. They kind of get the best of them. Like, they rush him. Uh, the female goes into a defensive posture. Uh, he smashes them around the city like he's knocking them into buildings. They're flying and, like, picking them up, dropping them. Like, one goes low. The other two go, like, you know, like they're really, like, teaming up on him. One gets him in the back. The other one, why he's, like, getting one and, like, get biting him or whatever. I don't know. But, you know, he's got, like, his hands full. And so he's fighting these, uh, these fucking, um, little flying, you know, mutos. But they're significantly smaller and weaker than he is. Uh, so he, at one point, is backed up into the bay. And, you know, he, this is the iconic scene where he grabs the Golden Gate Bridge and kind of, like, runs through it. But this, in my vision of it, he grabs the Golden Gate Bridge breaks it off a section of it and uses it as a club or a bat and uh bats away uh you know at least one of them maybe two of them and that's how you're like oh yeah the equalizer that would be like the scene where you're like like not only is he badass but he's got like anthropomorphic uh intelligence and and, and human-like intelligence and and thumbs you know and he can make tools and like like this is like a godzilla who's not just gonna like tail whip and like uh and fire breath like he's like you know like he gets one of them and like maybe like like stabs it on like a top of like a weather like a lightning rod like you know like a weather vane like on a giant skyscraper or like you know intentionally like pushes a building over on it you know like to pin it as like you know just is so it can like free up the him to fight like the female or something i don't know but the point is he's he's getting the upper hand he's getting the momentum um you know it's swinging godzilla's way now now we're in like the, the the big fight now we're in like they're they're rumbling they're tumbling right like humans it's not a good it's not a safe place to be the city is is ground zero at this point while godzilla and the mudos battle forward and a strike team enter the city via halo jump to find and disarm the warhead before it detonates it's a silly scene but it looks good 
and it definitely made the poster and the trailer, you know, memorable. So you got to give it that. Movies are stupid, but they look good. Unable to access the timer, the t- and it, it, it's just it's retarded. The entire premise of it is fucking stupid. But I get it. They have to be somewhere close. Um, I don't necessarily think that they this should be Warhead specific because, like I said, we're not doing the Warhead thing. But definitely. Um, you know, they have to go get the last survivors or they have to, they volunteer to make sure, you know, like, uh, like maybe they bring a hydrogen bomb, like a portable hydrogen bomb. And it's, it's something like that. Like they're trying to, you know, I don't know. It's kind of a retarded thing to do, like Halo Jump, but I understand that movies are retarded. And this is like, I guess a detriment to even including the scene so sometimes you have to kill your darlings i don't think i would have the halo jump scene no i would have maybe a bombing scene where they showed uh, you know ford from maybe a boat like as he drives into san francisco see like b2 bombers are like um a shitload of drones or uh you know strike eagles or something like like you know b-52s like just drop a massive amount of ordnance on uh godzilla and the mutos so it's another kind of reiterate a reiteration of this is what mankind's new relationship is there are going to be giant monsters battling where we once lived and called home as we you know devastate our own world with our munitions and our you know so he's got to add like a human element to it you know this is a very inhuman um and scene to witness right keep it epic keep it visually epic you know keep the color palette keep the whole uh, presentation uh that momentum of the film needs to be kept but i think it'd be better preserved if he witnessed like a carpet bombing or he witnessed the white phosphorus it'd be very reminiscent of the true experience of americans in uh you know the middle east and things like that like uh on these uh in these proxy wars just to watch airstrikes so unable to access the time where the team gets the warhead on a boat and disposal at sea while ford destroys the nest godzilla defeats the mudos and collapses on the shore from exhaustion this is a very silly uh you know predicament they get themselves in uh whatever he he's on a boat this is the key element he's on a boat he's like with a elite team of helpers seals whatever you know like people who are going to join him like his, his accompaniment is like you know disposable accompaniment is his red shirts and so um him and his squad are on this boat they pull up and he explains how they got there and he explains how they're going to get out and, um i don't think it should be a warhead i think it really should be his wife and child i think he should have ran somehow like just have used the whole situation to be like no i just need to rescue my wife and child like i had a mission whatever the mission is he's just like fuck it i'm just here to get my wife and kids and like the navy seals look at him and they're like all right like we get it that's a better like thing than we're here for like that's how unimportant the original motivation should be is like their mission is to go secure some bullshit that none of them care about and his is the only motivation where it's like no i have a wife and child uh they're somewhere in the shelter they texted me their location it's like right you know like right there like right around the corner from where the boat pulls up so he can just like run around get them and run back 
and as he's running back, this is like the bullshit that's going on. Godzilla defeats the final male Muto, like you know, um, however you want to do it, breath, whatever. He uh, he basically kills the last male Muto, so he's tired and he, like he's all defeated and bloody, and he's got like one eye, you know, like he's all fucked up. Like uh, I don't want to be like, oh no, he's the one eye symbolism, but like that's always a great thing in movies is like you know show him like actually having lost like an eye, like like it's scratched up or you know like swollen up and he's got like his teeth knocked out if you could knock out like a godzilla tooth that would be amazing um because it would just be you know like so like damn like i've never seen like godzilla suffer like like a a near defeat like it's such a close close fight where Godzilla's like he's got like one of his big fangs is like knocked out you know like he's all like like he's got like a gimp arm like he's like dragging his leg or something like you know like he's like exhausted he's like out of breath okay so um you know and then there's that great scene where he like blasts the female you know who's been like hiding and kind of like like being defended by the Melmujos and you kind of get the feeling that Godzilla's just had a fucking enough of this and he just like grabs her and, or grabs it and like you know twists its head like I want me more like a, like a neck break scene where he like twists its head and like blows the fire into its mouth and is like done like but like have it explode the Muto or have it like completely disintegrate the Muto not like just oh it cuts the head off from the inside no it's not like a blowtorch it's like you know a deep like a molecularizing like fire like a disintegrating atomic energy beam you know like it's it's when he does the beam you should be like wow that's why he wasn't doing the beam because you know he, he could have like killed everyone in the city yeah he could have destroyed you know an entire mountain range with the blast that he gave the female muto directly in the mouth like have it we were worried like that's what we were waiting for like three hours of uh, you know movie and then bullshit to watch godzilla be able to be like this massive powerhouse of his atomic beam okay so the family is safe muto's dead godzilla's like beat up like you know, you know but he'll survive uh, day is saved basically San Francisco is destroyed um, you know this is basically the same film uh, up till this point and then you have your moment where like Godzilla awakens and then you have him where they're like he's the good guy like you know like the, the, the media the viral videos the, the people the celebrities are like endorsing him and stuff and people are like super like that's kind of it would be like an ironic uh, stark uh, take on it that people like you could do a very like, like good uh, poignant like reflection on the fact that these very dangerous and uh, destructive uh, things like military hardware, um, weapons of mass destruction, weapons of any kind, uh, war paraphernalia of any kind, uh, any like the modern technology, nuclear energy, it's seen as cool, especially atomic energy. It was seen as kind of like a neat, like very cool thing to endorse and to be associated with when it was new, but it's led to a lot of destruction. Like Godzilla is like got a fan club, you know, like Godzilla's got a posse at the end of the film. And um, the military is like 
kind of like it doesn't know really what to do because the you know like the pol- monarch and the, the politicians are like like we'll just play this like we don't really want to like really get too involved and we can't really you know like once it starts walking away and leaving they're like should we like attack it you know like like have a, an actual like uh like top brass conversation with Ishizawa over there and they're like should we attack it like can we defeat it now like this is our best time like gentlemen we have to do it and Ishizawa was like don't you learn your lessons like let it go like you know it, it saved like you know it saved us all it's the hero like like let them fight like let them like there will be you know equality or you know he's like basically like I'm pro Godzilla you should be too like you know and he's like looking at his watch that like uh, his father died with and shit you know, and he's like, see, like, don't you Americans ever learn? Like, you can't always keep attacking everyone. Like, like if you attacked him, you would be no better, you know, than the monsters he fights. He'd give a speech, and, like, a really good speech. Because I think Isazawa had some good moments, but I think that the character Ken Wananabe was not allowed. Like, have him, have him speak Japanese. Like, have him, why couldn't he just speak Japanese and, like... Like, that would be a thing, like, you, we have the subtitles, like, we're not idiots, you know, but just have him speak his native language and, like, really act and be like, he's a great actor, and have him be like, yes, like, you know, I am very poignant and philosophical about life, and I think everyone should be, like, because it's so short and, and, you know, valuable, and that would have been the, the good, you know, way to end an emotional, um, an emotional, artistic, slow burn of a Godzilla film. Um, the film that we were uh, delivered on in 2014, I believe it was March 2014. Or May. No, I think it was March. Um, no, it was May. It was May 2014. You know, I really liked it. I remember thinking about it uh, when it came out for a while. I got it on... Um, I got it on uh, DVD uh, several years later just to have it. You know, it's part of my, like, collection. I, I really do associate with this movie as a, as a fan. I think it's the best in the MonsterVerse. Uh, that's like saying, no, it's like the best, uh, you know, it's the best out of a lot of bad movies. Like, it, it, they're very banal, they're very generic movies as they are. Uh, this is rated a 6.4 out of 10, which is like ranking it a 3 out of 5. You know, it's it's just mediocre because it doesn't pay off on the action that it promises. We need to pay off on the action that it promises. It also doesn't take enough risks with the actual uh, creature creation. Um, sure, it was great and Godzilla was controversial, but the enemies were very, but not like very mundane and lackluster, and um, ultimately kind of like. Uh, kind of lame like they were it's kind of disappointing like i understand make them insectoid that was cool i understand make them one like make them different like one fly one flies one's tank but you should really emphasize the swarm aspect of it if, as the creature creators as the uh, producers and um you know writers really emphasize because they did a prequel graphic novel or prequel comic book series or whatever you want to call it and they had a hive like a col- like a colony organism, like a, like a Portuguese man of war that became like a flying um, dragon-like creature, but it was made of like cells that were like starfish, and they interlocked, and all these starfish would 
interlock into like a massive monster and the monster was like pursued and chased from these like tropical islands all over the world by Godzilla as the as the military tried to destroy Godzilla and the other monster like you know indiscriminately and that is a perfect premise that's like what I base the action scene in the middle of the movie on is this idea that it's an evolving uh, colony organism and definitely emphasize swarms, definitely emphasize hive minds, definitely emphasize like all that crazy uh, biology that is the antithesis of a gigantic singular mono uh you know, monoconscious entity that is Godzilla. That's basically unchanging over eons, unchanging over generations, and very uh, thematically consistent, even inconsistent in its popularity. Like, I mean, it's a very consistent formula. But that's how I would improve Godzilla 2014. And uh, this has been the second episode of making bad movies. Gojira. Gojira.